재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 It is time for David's bookmark with David Tizard. David is an assistant professor at Seoul Women's University and is completing research on a PhD in Korean studies. David joins us every Sunday to continue our search for hidden gems in literature the world over and rekindle your love for the books that are already sitting on David's shelf. Welcome back, David. Thank you for having me. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to be here again. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, and uh, looking forward to sharing some more books with you and the people listening. (laughs) So you've brought in the Tin Drum for us this week. Can you give us a quick intro of this book? Quick intro of the Tin Drum, certainly. Acclaimed as the greatest German novel written since the end of World War II, the Tin Drum is the autobiography of 30-year-old Oskar Matzeraff, who has lived through the long Nazi nightmare and who, as the novel begins, is being held in a mental institution willfully stunting his growth at three feet for many years, wielding his tin drum and piercing scream as anarchistic weapons, he provides a profound yet hilarious perspective on both German history and the human condition in the modern world. Profound yet hilarious. I really want to get into the hilariousness of this book because I think it's wonderful, but Uh you have a protagonist who is three feet tall and who Mm -hmm. has two weapons. Yes, we we have to stumble over the profundity of it before we get to the hilarity. Okay. Yes. Um, But since we're still in the first month of our new season, perhaps it's worthwhile to take a moment to return to the basics of book discussion. We've been spending the past however many episodes of the bookend talking about books in terms of themes, writers, styles, genres, and so on. And everyone has a different goal with different books they bring in. But what do you personally want to achieve when presenting fiction books, David? Well, there's this conundrum that exists when discussing literature on a show like this in that if I if we talk about the book in such detail, for those that haven't read it, mm-hmm. we're spoiling it. We're right. giving away all the all the juicy bits, all the information. Mm-hmm. And for those that have read it, we're not providing really anything new apart from maybe mm-hmm. some subjective interpretation here and there. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I thought long and hard about. So one of the biggest aims I have with this show is to just simply encourage people to read more, to put these names such as the tin drum into their subconsciousness, into their head, and so that... When they're in the bookshop, when they're online, they remember these names and think, hang on, I need to go and read that. I'm mm-hmm. going to read that. Because David said so. Yes, subconsciously. And <laughs> <Yeah>. Jamie. <laughs> Coming back to our segment, we are trying to provide a sample of the atmosphere of the yeah. book. That's a good word to mm-hmm. use to describe it, the atmosphere, just to mm-hmm. put it in there and let people feel what it's like, get a sense for it, and then find out more by themselves. Right, right. So let's have a look at one of the opening sections. How does the book begin? The book begins with the narrator exclaiming that he is in a mental hospital. Mm -hmm. It starts thus. Granted, I am an inmate of a mental hospital. My keeper is watching me. He never lets me out of his sight. There's a peephole in the door and my keeper's eye is the shade of brown that can never see through a blue-eyed type like me. That's a very interesting opening to this novel because you immediately feel this strong sense of paranoia, of being watched, of claustrophobia, being stuck in a small room, and really the idea that there's this observation happening of someone. 
Mm-hmm. This actually reminds me of another book that we discussed. Remember, one sure. flew over the cuckoo's nest. Exactly. Yes, and yeah. like it's a it's a great literary trick achieved by presenting the narrator as a patient of a mental hospital. So, like from the get go, you're wondering, can I trust this narrator or not? Exactly, because we have this unreliable narrator. Most books have this omniscient narrator in which everything they say is taken as factual. But like you say, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. That fabulous book by Ken Kesey <laughs> has the narrator is the deaf and dumb Indian that doesn't right, speak right. in a mental hospital. <laughs> right, it's right, the right. most unreliable. Right. And I think Ken Kesey must have been heavily influenced by Gunter Grass's The Tin Drum Oh, here. that's interesting. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's really interesting um, the way that Grass presents the opening to this story. So mm-hmm. you open up with Oscar in a mental institute with his keeper, Bruno, mm-hmm. and that's how the story begins to unfold for you Mm -hmm. so let's look at um an excerpt here um and the the questioning of the narrator's role comes in even more accurately when he describes the very nature of the story that he will tell us right because we're not sure whether this is Gunter Grass speaking or Oscar speaking. The lines Uh between the reality and the protagonist itself really start getting blurred in this mental institute so I'll read a short piece for us now okay how shall I begin You can begin a story in the middle and create confusion by striking out boldly, backward and forward. You can be modern, put aside all mention of time and distance and, when the whole thing is done, proclaim or let someone else proclaim that you have finally, at the last moment, solved the space-time problem. Or you can declare at the very start that it's impossible to write a novel nowadays, but then, behind your own back, so to speak, give birth to a whopper, a novel to end all novels. I have also been told that it makes a good impression, an impression of modesty, so to speak, if you begin by saying that a novel can't have a hero anymore because there are no more individualists, because individuality is a thing of the past, because man, each man and all men together is alone in his loneliness, and no one is entitled to an individual loneliness, and all men lumped together make up a lonely mass, without names and without heroes. All this may be true. But, as far as I and Bruno, my keeper, are concerned, I beg leave to say that we are both heroes. Very different heroes, he on his side of the peephole and I on my side. And even when he opens the door, the two of us, with all our friendship and loneliness, are still far from being a nameless, heroless mass. Mm -hmm. So in an age of nameless, heroless masses, they are still individuals. Still individuals and yet still bound to each other in their fate. Mm -hmm. Um... That's very true, and it still rings correct to us today, this idea of feeling alone and isolated. But what I really love from this Gunter Grass type of prose is the rhythm, uh, the repetition of sounds, the the man, the men, the loneliness, the mass. Mm-hmm. It all comes across very lyrical, very poetic. And right, right. He often dwells on ideas. Mm-hmm. He's Some people might say it's like pedestrian p- prose. Uh-huh. They might say it's pedestrian prose. It goes quite slowly. Mm-hmm. But, but he's riffing off of these ideas. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. a good way to describe it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like both those ideas in, in, the, in the excerpt that you just read of having mm-hmm. no entitlement to individual loneliness because everyone is lonely in the same way and being so peculiar like our mm-hmm. protagonist that you can't possibly be part of the nameless, heroless mass. He's something that tries to identify what loneliness is and I really 
go into the mental hospital when I start reading this. You're sort of going into his mind. It's almost as if you're hearing the inner workings of mm-hmm. a character's mind and the possession of loneliness. Can we possess it? Because loneliness is something that we feel in essence, by ourselves. Right, right. But then the loneliness is attributed to everybody, and then if everybody has it, mm-hmm. it all starts we're getting... All lan- we're all lonely together. Yes. It's kind of a paradox. Sounds like a Paul McCartney song, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> we're all lonely together. But that's a really nice example of what this book is doing. It's this confusion. It's also very similar. You mentioned Ken Kesey's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. I also draw parallels when I read this to Catch-22, Mm. This idea when these paradoxes do occur and this wordplay, this circular idea of humor that goes round and round. I get Mm -hmm. a lot of that in this. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take a song break with Peter Green, another very troubled man in his own right, telling a story of his own that's much like Oscars. Here's Man of the World by Peter Green of the Fleetwood Mac. Oscar recounts the tale of his own life throughout the tin drum, but can we talk about the title? What does it mean and what does that signify, the tin drum? The tin drum, the name of this book, yes. Well, when Oscar is born, he's already like an adult and he tells us the story of his life and his experience of birth with pretty much the same degree of clarity as you and I are doing right now, Jamie, which, you know, that's quite a peculiar thing to consider. Uh, right, Babies right. really aren't conscious uh-huh. uh, a long time after that. Or but at least we expect them to be. I spend a lot of time with my son. <laughs> it's really weird when you ask children, what's your first memory? And it's normally like three or four or five. Uh-huh. So when you look at children that are not yet two, mm-hmm. you think you're not going to remember this. please remember i'm caring for you son oscar does remember the protagonist of the tin drum does remember his birth and when he comes into the world he doesn't like it immediately he decides he doesn't like this world and yet he is stuck because he can't go back to the womb as the umbilical cord has been cut Mm -hmm. so we have this huge sense of alienation at a young age Mm -hmm. now in order to help him with this his mother his wonderful mother promises him a tin drum for his third birthday. And Oscar is very keen to have this tin drum, and so he decides that he's going to stay around in this Uh world, in Uh his life, until he is three to get the drum. Uh Wait, so he's supposed to get the drum when he's three, and so like his reason for living is the drum that the mother promised him. His father uh, promised that he would be a shopkeeper, and that was Oscar's mission in life. And the mother quickly overruled that with some feminine logic that's described and says, no, he will have a tin drum when he is three. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason she decides this, I'm not sure, but it has a profound effect. And he decides not to commit an existential suicide Uh as a newborn baby, (laughs) and he's going to stay until he's three. Nice. We've prepared an English version trailer of the tin drum film adaptation from 1979, narrated by Oscar. Let's take a listen. There was once a drama who hated the world of grown-ups. Oscar. Oscar! There was once a drama who screamed shattered glass. There was once a drama whose name was Oscar. 
Kuckuck. He had two presumptive fathers, one Polish, the other German. There was once a drummer who didn't want to grow anymore, but he was a man just the same. He had three mistresses. The film was directed and co-written by Volker Schlondorf. Stylistically, it is a surrealistic black comedy. The film won the Palme d'Or at the 1979 Cannes Film Festival and the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film in 1980. That was quite a scream. It was. It can pierce glass. That's mm-hmm. one of his weapons that we mentioned. You can also hear in that trailer the riffing again, that uh-huh. repetition. Yeah, Here is right. a boy who does this and he does mm-hmm. this and does this. So it keeps coming. The trailer reveals that he has three mistresses. And really? Okay. That, yeah, and so uh, if you're interested in who they might be, you're uh-huh. going to have to pick up the book and read it. I'm actually more interested in the two presumptive fathers, one Polish, one mm-hmm. German. Yeah, that's, that's revealed mm. quite early on. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the, the uh, father's promise. So the father promises that he will be a storekeeper. His mother promises that he will have a drum. And Oscar himself makes a promise of his own, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, this is the promise that sort of defines a lot of the plot. When he is three years old, he decides that he's not going to grow up anymore. It's almost like a Peter Pan syndrome. Mm-hmm. When he gets to three, he's decided, right, physically, I'm not growing anymore. How do you do that? Well, you have to be a special little German boy with a tin drum, I think, (laughs) and possibly destined for a life in a mental institute, (laughs) as Oscar is at the start of the Uh book. uh But how do you do that? That's kind of the the fantastical or satirical black comedy element of Mm -hmm. the book that comes in now. But at the age of three, he decides, that's it for me, I'm staying right here which is weird because when he's born, he's already an adult. Mm, okay. And then when he gets to three, he's going to stop growing. There's a weird Benjamin Button thing going on there, but Gunter Grass makes it work here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if I can, I'd, I'd like to read just another little bit where he decides, and he's making these promises to himself at the age of three. Okay. When little Oscar is three, he will have a toy drum. Carefully weighing and comparing these promises, maternal and paternal, I observed and listened to a moth that had flown into the room. Medium-sized and hairy, it darted between the two 60-watt bulbs, casting shadows out of all proportion to its wingspread, which filled the room and everything in it with quivering motion. What impressed me most, however, was not the play of light and shade, but the sound produced by the dialogue between moth and bulb. The moth chattered away as if in haste one burden itself of its knowledge, as though it had no time for future colloquies with sources of light, as though this dialogue were its last confession, and as though, after the kind of absolution that light bulbs confer, there would be no further occasion for sin or folly. Today, Oscar says simply, the moth drummed. I have heard rabbits, foxes and dormice drumming. Frogs can drum up a storm. Woodpeckers are said to drum worms out of their hiding places. And men beat on basins, tin pans, bass drums and kettle drums. We speak of drum fire, drum head courts. We drum up, drum out, drum into. There are drummer boys and drum majors. There are composers who write concerti for strings and percussion. I might even mention Oscar's own efforts on the drums. But all this is nothing beside the orgy of drumming carried on by that moth in the hour of my birth with no other instrument than two ordinary 60-watt bulbs. You might hear, or I hear myself, elements of George Carlin-type beat poetry. 
mm-hmm. when he's talking about we drum up, drum out, drum into this repetition of mm-hmm. words and this play. I mean, that would have that must have been a beast to translate. Yeah, I, yeah, I can wordplay. only imagine. And mm-hmm. German language itself is very interesting. Like, it does have this lyrical quality, whether it's with Nietzsche or Hermann Hesse or mm-hmm. Günter Grass. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. And who was the translator for this? Ralph Meinham, I have mm-hmm. in front of me right now, and okay. I can recommend it highly. Okay, great. Well, let's play out with a wonderful piece of drumming from Joe Morello, one of my favorite recordings. God, I miss the days when jazz musicians performed in suits, don't you? No? Yes, completely. Okay. <laughs> Suits and ties and hats. Yes. Style, style, right? So this is Take 5 by Dave Brubeck. David, thank you so much for joining me today. Say goodbye to our listeners, David. Goodbye, our listeners. And on that note, we have arrived at the end of our show. To learn more about next week's topic, please visit our website. I'm Jamie Chang. Have a wonderful week, and I'll be back next Sunday at 10 with another brand new installation of The Bookend. Taking us out is David's request, Take 5 by Dave Brubeck. Mm-hmm.